Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, your guide to everything love, sex, intimacy, and relationships. Each week, your host, Zach Beach, interviews new experts on love, including couples therapists, relationship coaches, sex educators, and best-selling authors. Learn the best tips and cutting-edge wisdom to better love yourself, others, and the world. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, everyone. I am your host, Zach Beach, and I'm here with the incredible marriage and family therapist, Dr. Diana Wiley. Hello, Diana, and welcome to the show. Hello, Zach. I'm so glad to be with you. I'm so glad that you're here. And today we're going to be talking about love in the time of corona. And for those that don't know, Dr. Diana Wiley has more than 30 years of experience as a licensed marriage and family therapist and a board certified sex therapist. She is the author of Love in the Time of Corona, Advice from a Sex Therapist for Couples in Quarantine. And she provides sex and relationship advice at her website, DearDrDiana.com. She also offers quarantine sex tips and other short videos on her YouTube channel. How are you doing today, Diana? Great. Yes. I provide my own sunshine because <laughs> I'm good natured and I'm. it's raining here in Seattle as it often does. But um, I'm so optimistic and hopeful about how we can manage this pandemic better. And I know we're going to talk about that today. So that's good. I'm glad you're optimistic and hopeful because I know a lot of people are feeling a little jaded are feeling a little pessimistic and feeling that this pandemic, this quarantine, this shelter in place has been going on for far too long. It, well, for sure. For sure. <laughs> I mean, when we started lockdown last March, most of us thought, oh, a few months, we can manage that. But it's 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 coming up on a year now, so it's a long time, I know, and we're going to talk about how people can do better in this pandemic. Yeah, and we'll definitely get into that. And first, I'd love to just learn a little bit more about you, and I'm always just a little curious about the love lives of kind of relationship and sex therapists. And at the very beginning of your book, you dedicated it to your husband, Brian, so I'm curious about how your professional life affects your personal life and your marriage. And also like when it gets in the way, you know, sometimes I'm like with my partner and I'm like, oh, that's not a very nonviolently way to communicate and you should be using I statements. And it's really easy to like bring in things that I know about relationships, but people don't want to hear that. Right. So I'm wondering also like, how does what you know get in the way? Well, in my case, because we're both mature, we're both in our 70s, and we definitely practice what I preach. And you wondered if something gets in the way, and it hasn't. But it's because we're two experienced people who we have a past, and yet everything is still possible. And so we're romantic. We do all of those things that I talk about in the book. And a study was done about sex therapists. It wasn't a very big study, but it was a study of sex therapists wondering, do sex therapists have better sex than the rest of us? And it turns out we do. And the reason is that we have more knowledge about sex. 
I have a library filled with books about sexuality and relationships. And I go to many, well, in the past, I've gone to many conferences, uh, including World Congresses of of Sexology around the world. And so I have lots and lots of knowledge. And so sex therapists tend not to have anxiety about sex because they know what they're doing. And knowledge is really powerful and it adds to one's sexual confidence. And you know, confidence, turns out, confidence is pretty romantic in and of itself. Confidence is really sexy, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, it is, it is. And sometimes that takes a while to develop. But yes, I can't say that we have anything that gets in the way. I'll tell you one thing that helps. We don't live together. This is, this is more true for people that are over 50. We have one of these living apart together relationships. He lives about 15 minutes away. So he comes to my place Wednesday nights. We uh, have dinner and we make love. And then I go to his house on weekends and he has a hot tub and a massage room. And we just have the best time. And we have our own date nights, I mean, scheduled. And we're gonna talk about that too. It gives us time to anticipate seeing each other. You know, um, was it Gil Brown, the prophet? He said, let there be spaces in your togetherness. Hmm. But that doesn't work for, for couples like with children and all of that. So this is more of a, a senior thing. That, But it does happen a fair amount, and it works for us. That's so inspiring. I just love one of the things you said earlier, which was, we have a past, and yet everything is still possible. Yes. And that so much applies to like every area of our relationships. I think people maybe have had a really challenging childhood and they think that the past defines them and that they're going to be doomed for all of their adult romantic relationships. But that's simply not true. It's simply not true. However, I was very blessed because I had secure attachment. And I do look at adult relationships through the lens of attachment theory. And if you have secure attachment, you have a mo- usually a mother, it's uh, the primary caregiver, who is, <clears throat> but I had a mother and a father who is available to you and hugs you and kisses you and listens, listens wow. to you. So what we want in adult relationships, we really wanted as a child too. What we want is somebody who is available to us, can really listen, mm-hmm. and who is responsive, available and responsive, Hmm. you know, to be empathic and then helpful. So I'm hearing your your secret sauce right now, available and responsive, empathic and helpful. Yes, that's good. Secret sauce, right? (laughs) (laughs) So amazing that back in the day you had a father who also gave you like the love and affection Oh, um, yeah. Needed as a child. Yes. My father, the tragedy was that he was hit by a truck when I was 14. And the last morning he was alive, he came into my bedroom and as he often did. And he said, good morning, Diana. And he lifted my hair and kissed the back of my neck. And he said, I love you. 
And for whatever reason, maybe I was thinking about getting to school, and but I didn't say it back. I had said it to him before. But the, the lesson I learned at that very tender age of 14 is if you love somebody, if you care about somebody, for heaven's sakes, tell them life is uncertain. And all of that replayed when my last husband died in 2000. And I was a widow for 10 years before I met my, my current husband, Brian. So I didn't I didn't have regrets. I mean, I had many regrets because Charlie was only 57 and it was so sudden. But I didn't have regrets about what we didn't say or what we didn't do because we said it all and did it all. And that's really important not to have regrets and to express yourself. And that feeds into the, to lots of other things that we're going to talk about today. Wow. So... That's really moving. So your father died at, at a young age, and that catalyzed you to recognize that the only time we have to love is right here and right now. Exactly. And when you got into your relationship with your husband, who is now your late husband, you made every moment worth it. Absolutely. And so by the time I married Charlie, I was ready. I was ready for him. I was even more ready for Brian. Two experienced people who have a past, yet everything is still possible. And, you know, you bring so much wisdom, like personal wisdom to your offerings in the world. And then you even have professional experience. So you've been working as a marriage and family therapist and as a sex therapist for over three decades now. So I wanted to kind of ask you about what changes you've seen in love, in how we relate to each other, and the types of people that kind of enter into your office. I'm just thinking about the ubiquity of porn, and it's just a click away on our phones and our laptops. I'm also thinking about online dating. I'm also thinking about the acceptance of LGBTQ plus communities and just how different things are. So I'm wondering, what are some of the biggest shifts that you've seen throughout your career? Well, all of the shifts that you mentioned and everything is more available, online dating works very well. It still works. I met my husband, Brian, through Match.com, and that was uh, over over 10 years ago. And uh, the algorithms were just right. We are so compatible. My My son met his significant other, at the beginning of this quarantine and they had a much longer courtship than most couples before they actually got together but it's doable so i think that online dating does work we i could do a whole show with you about that but that's not what we're going to talk about today i also think that watching pornography together as a couple if the woman can be open to it can actually be a positive thing i've i've seen it and it, it helps if it's female-friendly porn. Often it does, because a, a very good friend of mine died five years ago of ovarian cancer, and her 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 real name was Candace, but her her name was Candida Royale, and she was the first producer, director, writer of erotic films, pornography for couples to watch, and she started in 1984. So she was the real pioneer in this field and people can see her films now. They're, they're, she made some 20 over the years, femme, F-E-M-M-E. And, you know, some of them look a little bit dated, but she always went after real couples to perform. So usually women prefer 
porn that has a bit of a plot, but that are still explicit. And if the couple can watch it together and maybe stop it when they see something they like to maybe try themselves or just to talk about it, this can help. When pornography is a problem for couples is when the man watches it in secret and the woman discovers it. So pornography doesn't work for every couple and a lot of women won't be open to it. What might work better is over the years, I've done seven sex education films for the Sinclair Institute where I'm a narrator. And that's where the films are explicit. We actually have real couples demonstrating what we're talking about. My most recent one is Great Sex for a Lifetime, and it targets baby boomers. That's another way, because we do learn visually. Yeah, we're relating to each other in new ways, and technology has definitely helped. It's been a problem, too, but it's helped a lot as well. I'm also a very visual learner. So Great Sex for a Lifetime, I'll be sure to check that out when when the time comes. (laughs) Well, you know what? It really is for any age. The inf- and most of the couples that we have demonstrating are younger, too. I, I'm also a gerontologist, and that's because I did studies in the early 90s with a doctor in Palo Alto, Walter Bortz, and we studied uh, aging and sexuality. Mm-hmm. And they were and these studies were later published in medical journals. So then I got to call myself a gerontologist, and I've always been interested in aging and sexuality, and I'm even more interested in it now that I'm there. <laughs> mm. So you mentioned kind of a couple perspectives that I would say aren't exactly the norm. So you mentioned how, yeah, a lot of couples, like once the kids have moved out, maybe you can think about living separately and that might serve the relationship. And then you just mentioned watching porn together with like your partner, which I think for a lot of people might be like an edge of theirs. So I'm just curious, do you have any other controversial or any other like unique takes of advice that you think most people don't know about? Well, I uh, there are lots of things. Reading erotica together, reading out loud. For instance, I work with anorgasmic women. I like to call them pre-orgasmic because it's a little more positive that the orgasm is going to happen. But women who are trying to have an orgasm do better if they do it first alone, often by touching themselves, masturbating, and especially with a vibrator. But they don't do as well, typically, watching pornography as they do reading erotica. And that helps keep them focused. And I worked, when I was in Los Angeles, I worked at UCLA's Female Sexual Medicine Center. And we discovered that women who had not masturbated as teenagers up till the time of about 25, we're not having orgasms. And uh, what we theorize is that the neural pathways that go from the brain to the genitals had not been laid down. And so what these women almost always need is a vibrator, which goes way faster than any finger or tongue uh, or penis can go. Uh, So the vibrator is often the thing that will help a woman have an orgasm. And it really is a good idea for guys to make friends with the sex toys, not to consider it intimidating. Does does that help? Men should make friends with the sex toys. <laughs> yeah, don't be intimidated. You know, a lot of men, including my husband, really focuses on the woman's pleasure. And that's such a good idea. Brian says, worship your woman and... The goddess will reward you. (laughs) And my name is Diana. And one of, you know, there's Princess Diana, but I prefer Goddess Diana in terms of the references. 
So I get the sense that you very much like having a partner whose whose motto is to worship your woman. <laughs> oh yeah, I like it. I've always liked attention. I have an acting, a theatrical background, and it goes way, way back. And uh, when Brian is giving me attention, it naturally gets me to want to pleasure him too. It's a very natural kind of give and take. So earlier we were saying that confidence is sexy, and now I'm feeling that like attention is also very sexy. Oh, it sure is. You know, pure non-distracted attention is so seductive and mm. very affirming. You know, when your partner tells you his or her thoughts and feelings and desires or just things that happened that day, it's so important to really listen. And another way to pay attention is to do nice things for your love and to show that you are thinking of him or her. And you can bring coffee to your mate in the morning, and the list goes on and on. Positive behaviors often precede attitude change. That's just how it is. I very much appreciate your kind of grounded, just down-to-earth advice. You know, it's almost like the anti-cosmopolitan, which is like 106 sex tips to spice up your life. And then you're like, <laughs> or you could try doing nice things for each other and listening <laughs> to them. <laughs> yes, that's right. You know, exotic techniques in the bedroom are terrific, but they won't necessarily make you a better lover. It's really more about developing an attitude of openness and curiosity. So I'd love to kind of shift towards today's topic about love and sex in the time of corona mm -hmm. and shelter in place and quarantine. And I kind of wanted to ask you more about the positive to start with. I'm thinking about the silver linings because first thing we tend to go to is how hard it is for everyone. And it is hard. You know, people are losing their jobs. People aren't able to say goodbye to their family members. But there's also been a number of silver linings. Many people and parents in particular are appreciating more time with their children, are appreciating working from home, not commuting an hour to, the, to their work. And I imagine many partners have also grown together in this time of shelter in place and deepened their connection. What are some of the silver linings that you've seen come out of quarantine and COVID? What you just said is so true. And you know what today is? What's today? Groundhog Day. Oh. <laughs> that was like and, Tuesday? Yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. Yes, it is. And Groundhog Day, it's all a reminder that even when our choices seem so reduced, you know, there was that movie Groundhog Day where he had, mm -hmm. where Bill Murray, wasn't it, had the same day over and over again. So we're having the same day for many people that when our choices seem so reduced, we're still lucky to have so many to make. Choices that can impact our world over and over every day and a reminder that it's possible and uh, to emerge on the other side of this thing with deeper appreciation of everyone and everything around us. So many couples are going crazy because they have too much time together and others, especially with some guidance. And I, I have heard from people that have bought my book. Love in the Time of Corona, Advice from a Sex Therapist for Couples in Quarantine, that my advice has indeed been helpful. And even, of course, the couples that I work with in my practice, in my private practice, say the same thing. So they're really getting to know each other better. But, but they're still coming in because they're still not communicating as well as they'd like. You know, they've maybe... 
they've been habituated to communicating badly over the years. So the things that they come in for are lack of good communication and mismatched desire, also called discrepancy of desire. Those things haven't changed very much. Yeah, I love your inspiring message at the beginning when you mentioned that even when our choices are reduced, we are still lucky to have so many to make. And those, those choices will impact our world every day. You listen very well. <laughs> yeah, that's wonderful. So you mentioned a couple issues that you've seen with couples during this quarantine time. So one was lack of good communication, and then the other one was desire discrepancy. So I'm curious, what problems are you seeing? Like when you say, oh, this couple isn't communicating, that's the underlying issue. But then what happens in quarantine with a couple when they're not communicating better? What problems are you seeing in a lot of people? That the message sent is not the message received and they're not really listening. That happens. But I would say that lots of relationships die from emotional undernourishment because people forget to say what they value and appreciate about their partner. So I say to people, speak up. It creates good feelings, which draws us closer. And of course, both men and women enjoy being told they're attractive. I have a, um, a wonderful little exercise that, in fact, two of them that I'd like to share now. I ask couples to create an adoration list by asking your partner to write down seven non-material things that would make him or her feel cherished by you. And then that, then you make a similar list yourself. And so that can be very revealing. You make the list, you sit down and you talk about it. I have a sex menu in my book. It's in the first chapter, getting to know your partner better. So many couples have trouble talking about what they want to need and desire. And if you don't do that, it's like going on a treasure hunt without any clues. You've got to simply speak about it. So my sex menu, which is, by the way, a free download on DearDrDiana.com. The sex menu has all kinds of sexual suggestions. So you go through the list and you mark your own list. And as I said, it's a free download or it's in the book, Love in the Time of Corona. So then... Honestly, I have seen so many couples that have learned for the first time so many things about what their sexual partner wants and needs and desires and is willing to do or is not willing to do. They have to talk about it, but they haven't talked about it. They didn't have a language. They didn't have the prompt. Uh, even when I do sex therapy with a couple, the fact that I'm so uh, at ease with talking about this subject makes a huge difference. And it gives them a vocabulary to talk themselves. So many stories of people in sex therapy, perhaps with someone they've been married to for 20, 30 years, and then they've never really been fully honest about things that they desire in the bedroom. And then they finally reveal it and they're like, what, you wanted this thing this entire time? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the sex menu is a really great way to sort of figure out one's sexual desires and also communicate them to their partner. And then you mentioned the adoration list. So just to clarify, so the adoration list is basically each partner writes down seven things that they like about the other person. Seven non-material things. Yes. So what's an, what's an example of a non-material thing? I love the way you bring me coffee in the morning. It's just wonderful. It helps me wake up. 
I love the way you really listen to me and respond. I could say that to you, Zach. We're not. <laughs> You're a good listener. You're really a good host. Uh, so that <laughs> non-material things, things. So like actions. 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 And I have another exercise in my book called Sweet Nothings. And I do this uh, with my couples. Um, I have them facing each other, holding hands, making eye contact. And uh, they get to say what they really love and appreciate about the other in about one minute. And then uh, then it's the other person's turn. All, only positives. And several times when I've done this, I've seen men actually cry hearing their woman say what they love and appreciate. They're so used to hearing all these negative things that they actually cry. It just feels so good. I love and appreciate that the way you hold me and hug me for more than just a second, the way you really hold me. And by the way, I also suggest a 15-second hug and a 7-second kiss, which is long enough to get oxytocin going, which really is important for, for us to feel connected and have more trust. So the 7-second kiss and the 15-second hug, all of these little exercises can help with the uh, feeling more positive, positive behaviors. That really is essential. So yeah, I would say any couple who's listening right now can go ahead and pause the podcast for 22 seconds <laughs> for your 15 second hug and seven second kiss. <laughs> I love that. Yes. Even when I've seen, of course, I see everybody now over Zoom, but even when that I have them do that in front of me sometimes. Sometimes they're too embarrassed to do it, but but I was gonna say, at like, least mm, the I hug, know. at least the hug. <laughs> yeah. So I love all these exercises that you've just given. So the hug, the kiss, the nothings, the menu, the adorations. And I love how all this ties into some, what you said, which was that lots of relationships die from a lack of emotional nourishment. That's right. And you also mentioned a lot of people only hear criticism from their partner and I wanted to kind of go into how to deal with negativity in the relationship and also how to deal with negativity when you see it coming up inside of you. And also see if we could try our best to tie this into Corona, because I'm thinking about a lot of relationships who value their independence. There are some partners who fall in love and they spend every day all day together and they love it. There are other partnerships who actually, they love that they they go to work, they have their hobbies, and then they come home and they do have those strong connection moments with their partners, but they still have a strong independent life. Now they're living together and they start to get on each other's nerves a little bit. You know, you realize your partner chews their food really loudly or they... <laughs> Like those things that never came up before. Now you're sheltering in place and you're like, you know, I heard you say earlier, you should really speak up, tell your partner how you feel. It's like, well, what if what you're feeling and what's real for you now is is just negative things, right? So what's your best route forward for when you notice negative thoughts, negative feelings about your partner come up? You feel quarantined, you feel stuffed in one place and there's no escape. How do we deal with these challenging emotions? Well, you have to pause and say, we're going to talk to each other for the next 15 minutes. I have another exercise in the book, and it's borrowed from the indigenous people, the 
American Indians who had talking sticks. Right now you can't see me, but I'm holding up my pen. You can use a pen. So if I have the talking stick, then I get to talk and say what's on my mind. And before my partner can respond, the partner has to say what what he or she heard you saying. What So they parent it back because so often, as I said at the top of our interview, often the message sent is not the message received. And so you need to be on the same page. Are you hearing your partner well? The talking stick is then... If, if the pers- other person got it right, then the, then then it's the other person's time to talk. You got to slow everything down and maybe set the scene and have some nice music playing in the background quietly to have this talk. You also need to not be drinking alcohol to have this talk uh, or if it, maybe one or two. Uh, one, um, it's just you want to focus in on your partner and really, really listen. Um so it can be difficult and sometimes professional guidance is necessary. That's why therapists exist. And you said to me off the air that I said I'm really busy. And then you said every therapist you know is really busy. And yes, that maybe is a silver lining of the pandemic. More people are seeking therapy for, for personal growth and relationship growth. In your notes to me, you quoted Sartre that hell is other people. He said something that I like even better. If you're lonely when you're alone, you're in bad company. He also said, nourish yourself and be someone you want to be around. Do the work on yourself. In fact, you know, people like to repeat the saying that before you can love anyone, you must love yourself. And of course, it's not really that simple. Simple. One of the first ways that we learn to love ourselves is by being loved by others and loving them back. In a mature, established relationships, let's say that, they often are able to say to each other, you make me want to be the best version of myself. You make me want to be the best version of myself. Oh, you did ask, what should a couple do when they find that they're increasingly getting on each other's nerves? This can happen very easily when you've got the extrovert who's in a relationship with the introvert. Introverts definitely need more time alone to process feelings and extroverts want to get on it right now and let's talk about it and process it. That's why in work, introverts often do better with emails rather than brainstorming. So you need to be respectful of each other's differing personalities. And the introvert needs to say, I need some time alone. You know, if you're in quarantine together, I need some time alone. It's part of self-care. You do the self-care in a relationship, you're often better in the relationship. Yeah, hearing all your advice, the idea of getting real keeps coming up for me in terms of one, with your partner, you want to have real, authentic conversations. You can start with the positive and express the things that you love and appreciate about each other. But also with the negative, you want to bring up whatever challenges you're having without judgment and also listen without reactivity. And then when you mentioned having and going to see a therapist because you're having challenges, you know, because of quarantine, then also you have a professional who's kind of in charge of having that real conversation where you are safe to talk about your emotions. And then the last thing I heard was also being real with yourself. 
and recognizing you have emotional needs and you might need to set strong boundaries, like in the case of being the introvert, is you might need strong boundaries in order to have some alone time, some quiet time with your thoughts. Precisely, Zach. Precisely. That's You summarized it very well. So yeah, you did bring up the the Star Trek comment uh, that hells other people and yeah the other the other phrase I was thinking about was this idea that familiarity brings contempt so let's just go a little bit more into that in terms of the couples lots of couples you know have really strengthened the connection in this time and other couples have um, actually caused more conflict and are getting on their nerves a little bit more and are having challenges navigating all the time together and really just corona itself is a stress on the relationship like you know people are losing their jobs and other things as well so i'm curious love in the time of corona what are some practices that will really help people weather this storm well child rearing can be a real problem for couples in this time and uh, well, you even wrote, it's not very sexy. <laughs> and so I think addressing that and, and maybe planning your date night at home. Uh, and for Valentine's Day, of course, this is especially important to have your date night at home. If you have small children, you may have to wait till they're in bed. I think that couples need to work at talking about each other, not about the children when they get together, not about the kids. And so you've got these date nights and then you unplug at night and you turn off all electronic devices so each member can focus on each other. Dopamine is the hormone of arousal, but it needs novelty. And that's why we need to do some new things with each other. I just want to say that I think men are romantic when they behave like grownups when they take responsibility for their lives, when they do what they're passionate about. And I think that they are distinctly unromantic when they fall in love with their own images and when they neglect to ask about you. Narcissism is unromantic, huh? Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Very. In my experience, both clinical and personal, men who really enjoy going down on a woman are usually more sexually evolved. You know, I'm just thinking about this phrase that love is a lot more about what you can give than what you can get and just how important generosity is in any relationship. For sure. Absolutely. You know, if you have a generous heart, it makes all the difference. Let's talk about scheduling your date night at home on Valentine's Day. What a great time to put sex on the calendar and talk about it and make a plan and have good intentions. It can be so necessary to think about having the right music, to clean up your house for this, especially the bedroom, to have clean sheets, to have good lighting, and you have candlelight and china and dress up for it. All of these things can really make your date night at home much more stimulating and fun. Absolutely. I love all your advice. It reminds me that I think every couple needs to realize that along with taking care of the kids and along with taking care of each other, it is also important to nurture the relationship. 
sometimes I think it really helps to think of your relationship as a separate entity that also needs time and also needs caring that also needs attention. And hearing you say things like, yeah, schedule a date night can be really important because I think a lot of people in shelter in place, like the relationship is kind of a given, right? It's like, well, I see you every day. I live with you. Clearly, we're in an intimate relationship. And they forget that before shelter in place, they were going on dates. They were going to museums and exploring new things. So now they kind of have to intentionally take out the distractions, put the kids to sleep or get a babysitter turn off the phones, turn off the laptops, put on some music, have a date night, do things for each other again in order to boost that dopamine, boost that excitement, boost the novelty that's kind of lacking if you're just in the same routine day to day. Absolutely. And Helen, Dr. Helen Fisher did some research using a functional MRI that she had access to at Rutgers University. And she studied, she looked at couples' brains, newly in love and together a long time. And she found that in the early stages, there was a lot of testosterone running and dopamine. Back to dopamine, the hormone of arousal. Mm. It needs novelty. So in the beginning, you can't keep your hands off each other. You're talking till three in the morning. There are all that, the good, good feelings of being in a new relationship. Lots of dopamine, lots of testosterone. Then she studied couples who'd been together a while. And they were higher in levels of oxytocin. Uh, also uh, coined uh, the anti-divorce drug because oxytocin, the more we're touched, the more we want to be touched. <laughs> but it's more of a friendship thing. So you go from being really, oh, and vasopressin, which is comes on board when you've been together a while, and that's the bonding chemical. And so you go from being feeling like you're on speed to feeling like you're on Prozac. But you got to work at keeping the eroticism alive and try new things, getting a new sex toy. These all can help with bringing more novelty into the relationship. So oxytocin is the anti-divorce drug, and then vasopressin again is what? A vasopressin, it's, it's pronounced both ways. Vasopressin, vasopressin. It's the, it helps with bonding. And the way they found this out, the scientists, they looked at mountain voles and prairie voles. They're cousins. But one of them, I think it's the mountain vole, has way more vasopressin in his in his brain. And he is monogamous. He has one little vole for his whole life. He's monogamous. He learns her body and her smell, and he's there. The prairie vole is promiscuous and has very little vasopressin in his brain. Goes from one little vole to the next. Well, yeah, no, there's re there is some really interesting research around the, basically the science of monogamy. And yeah, a lot of it literally goes into the voles. <laughs> yes. If you see like a magazine that says the new science of monogamy, it always goes to the voles. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But thank you so much. Dr. Wiley, for coming on to the show, this hour has simply flown by. Well, you're welcome. I want to finish by asking you a question I love to ask all of my guests, which is quite simply, what do you wish everyone knew about love? It gets better as you get more mature and as you have more self-awareness and more self-confidence and that you are able to really genuinely, authentically look at your partner and say, you make me want to be the best version of myself. And love is unselfish. I, I have a, another little saying in couples relationships, 
and it'll promote love is to hold up your end of the couch. <laughs> Tell me and, more. Uh, yeah, if hold up your end of the couch. You know, you become a person by facing authentic emotion and vulnerability. The best way to get a marriage on the right track is by holding up your end of the couch. <laughs> <laughs> Do your share. Really listen. All of those things. I'm thinking both like the metaphorical uh, meaning and the physical meaning. Like obviously you want to be helpful and supportive to your partner and literally help them if they move the couch. But I'm also thinking about like the therapist couch and that you also want to hold up your end in committing to growing, committing to looking within, committing to being vulnerable. I'm going to have my clients listen to this recording <laughs> when it's when it's up. <laughs> <laughs> And love is just like a fine wine, huh? So it gets better as you get older. Uh, that's been my experience. <laughs> you know, I've lived a long and very good life and it keeps, uh, the love part just keeps getting better. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much, Diana, for coming on to the show. For our listeners who want to learn more about you, how can they find you? They can find me on the advice website, DearDrDiana.com. Doctor can be DR or spelled out. Dear Dr. Diana.com. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Thank you for reminding us that you can have a past and yet still everything is possible. Even if your past is 70 years of age, you can still have a robust sex life. And that love is like a fine wine. It gets better with age as you gain awareness and confidence. Exactly right. <laughs> it's been so much fun to talk to you, Zach. Your your responses are are excellent. And you clearly read my book and you listen and I, I just, you're one of the best hosts and I've been on a lot of podcasts. So you get kudos, Zach, kudos. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you so much for your kind words. That's why I'm here. I also try my best to practice what we preach here and practicing listening. And as you mentioned, that it's sexy. I know that's why, that's the real reason I listen so well. <laughs> yes, <just> but... <laughs> yes. Thank you, listeners, for listening to the show. If you want to learn more about me, you can head to ZachBeach.com and learn more about the show at TheHeartCenter.com. Thanks again, Diana. You're so welcome, Zach. Anytime. Thanks again for listening to the Learn to Love podcast. To learn more about the show and your host, head over to ZachBeach.com or TheHeartCenter.com. You can also follow Zach on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.